Welcome to the Our Earth podcast episode two, The Cultural Meaning of Cows. Um, I'm Kat. And I'm Ben. So before we get today to today's episode, a couple of pieces of housekeeping. Uh, if you're enjoying the content, do just, uh, subscribe at iTunes, uh, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you're really enjoying the show, please do consider leaving a five-star review or letting someone know about the show um, so they can enjoy it too. And if you want more information about the topics, including book recommendations, then do check out our website at www.ourearthspodcast.com. And with that out of the way, we hope you enjoy the episode. So those of you who've dined out in London may have come across the chain of Indian restaurants called Holy Cow. As well as a very catchy name, it's a pretty interesting juxtaposition of different cultural attitudes to cows and dining. In the middle of a Western culture that loves meat and beef, but playing with traditional Hindu ideas about the sacred status of bovine animals. And there's no beef on the menu, of course. But the divine power attributed to cows here becomes a marketing tool for food. Cows have meant very different things to different people. To most of us in Western countries, they're ubiquitous farm animals, black and white dots we see everywhere on the landscape. But they have diverse spiritual, sacred and mythical meanings in cultures across the world. And as we touched on last week, cows were not always tame and domesticated. The footprints on Formby Beach tell the story of ancient large aurochs who walked alongside humans as wild animals. For as long as cattle have been around humans, they've played a significant part in the culture, symbolism and religious practices of human societies. Cows feature prominently on some of the earliest hieroglyphic texts from the pre-dynastic period in ancient Egypt. The Nama palette, which was discovered at the very end of the 19th century by British archaeologists James Quibble and Frederick Green, dates back to around 3100 BCE. The designs probably depict the unification of the two kingdoms of Egypt under King Nama. However, interestingly, alongside the images of the king wearing the red and white crowns of Egypt are two bovine human heads. These are thought to depict the Egyptian god Bat, who was worshipped in the Upper Kingdom, or possibly Hathor, the better-known mother goddess of Egypt, who is also shown as a cow. Both were often pictured surrounded by stars, as there was a belief that the Milky Way was the milk that had flowed from the udder of a celestial cow. Pallets, by the way, were decorated stone surfaces, originally used to grind ingredients used in cosmetics, but these intricate examples were probably decorative and ceremonial. Anyway, on the same piece, the king himself is also depicted as a bull trampling his enemies. The bull was a symbol of strength. It was actually quite common for Egyptian pharaohs to be described as strong bull of his mother Hathor, a title that linked his rule to the mother cow goddess of Egypt. And this is by no means the only example from this early period of pre-dynastic Egyptian history. The motif of the cow surrounded by stars is the central image on the Gerza palette, although in this example it is a stylized cow's head with curved horns surrounded by five stars. And the bull palette, also from the 4th century, shows two spectacular images of a bull, probably representing the king with his head down, charging and trampling a defeated warrior the bull representing the power and strength of the pharaoh. Over time, the worship of the bull as a symbol of strength and fertility became an important part of Egyptian belief. Apis was home to the most famous cult dedicated to the worship of a sacred bull, but there were others. 
It's probable that the bull was worshipped as an aspect of another Egypt, Egypt's main deities, uh, Putar, but also as a symbol of the king, as on the Nama palette. The elaborate worship ritual demanded that the sacred bull required a specific set of markings, including a white triangle on the forehead and a crescent moon shape on the right flank. A calf that matched these markings would be selected from the herds as sacred. On death, the sacred bull would be elaborately mummified and buried in a special cemetery at Saqqara. The first known burial of this type occurred around 1380 BCE, and the practice extended until the reign of Cleopatra more than a millennium later, which is really remarkable. Uh, the lives of the bulls were meticulously documented in tablets at the burial complex, from the dates of their birth, their reign and date of death, even in many instances the name of the mother cow. In fact, they are an important dating source for archaeologists. The vast effort and expense involved in the cult shows how much it meant to the Egyptian belief systems. The counterpart to the bull was Hathor, one of the most important gods in the Egyptian pantheon and often depicted as a cow. As we mentioned above, Hathor was simply the best known of the goddesses represented by a cow. And her role in Egyptian belief is very complex and probably varied over time. Egyptologists suspect that Hathor subsumed a variety of smaller goddesses in the Middle Kingdom and with them took on their roles in local worship. We've already mentioned her role as a sky goddess. The cosmic mother was often represented as a cow who birthed the sun, with a disc of the sun positioned between her horns in art. She was also one of the goddesses who was regarded as the Eye of Ra. The Eye of Ra was essentially a, a consort to the sun god that allows his rebirth every dawn. But the Eye of Ra also had protective and aggressive powers, both protecting the sun god from enemies and, on occasion, acting as aggressive force, punishing uh, the sun god's enemies actively. One example of this is the wonderfully titled Book of the Heavenly Cow from around 1350 BCE, which deals with mankind's rebellion against the sun god. Hathor is sent to punish and ultimately destroy mankind. She slaughters many people and is eventually prevented from destroying mankind by a trick from Ra who mixes 7,000 jars of beer with red ochre to resemble blood. When Hathor, in a killing frenzy, sees this, she consumes the liquid, only to fall asleep drunk and awake in her pastoral form as the mother of mankind. It is also one of the reasons that beer was consumed at Hathor's festivals. A similar story can be found in another famous ancient text. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, the heroes Gilgamesh and Enkidu face and defeat the Bull of Heaven in battle. The written version of the epic dates to around 2000 BCE, but there are depictions of the bull from cylinder seals and other art from even earlier. In the epic, the creature is summoned by the goddess Ishtar after Gilgamesh rejects her, and the goddess pleads to Arnu to unleash the bull. It causes immense destruction. It kills a hundred people with its first breath. Its second breath creates a huge hole, trapping 200 more. Enkidu and Gilgamesh work together to defeat the beast. Enkidu pulls its tail to distract the bull so Gilgamesh can plunge his sword into its neck. The heroes then offer the bull's heart to the sun god Shamash. This is the section from the epic poem describing this moment. Enkidu stalked and hunted down the bull of heaven. He grasped it by the thick of its tail and held onto it with both his hands. While Gilgamesh, like an expert butcher, 
boldly and surely approached the bull of heaven. Between the nape, the horns, and then the word missing, he thrust his sword. After they had killed the bull of heaven, they ripped out its heart and presented it to Shamash. When Ishtar appears to curse the heroes, Enkidu tears off its thigh and hurls it at her. The exact symbolism of the bull is unclear. It may represent natural disaster, like an earthquake, or perhaps the constellation Taurus. Motifs from the story are found in other ancient epics, including the Iliad and the Odyssey. Odysseus and his men kill the sacred cattle of the god Helios, and like Enkidu and Gilgamesh, find themselves condemned for the slaughter. While the bull was important in many ancient cultures, nowhere was the bull such a ubiquitously visible part of power and celebration as in the Minoan civilization of Bronze Age Crete. Excavations at the famous Palace of Knossos revealed an astonishing wealth of bull imagery, seals and rings with bull's horns, motifs, funerary furniture, and horns of consecration from shrines. Let's dig a little deeper into some of the most famous artefacts to see exactly how much the bull was part of the most important practices. Archaeologists have uncovered more than 10 Rhytons, ceremonial drinking vessels in the shape of a bull's head. The most famous example was carved from a single piece of black soapstone, about 10 inches tall, which was then hollowed out with a hole between the horns for drinking. It's remarkable for the realism of the carving. The eyes were painted on crystal with a black iris and red pupil, and the hair on the bull is carefully modelled to look wild and natural. The Hagia Triadus sarcophagus, which dates from around 1400 BCE, is covered with beautifully painted frescoes that show the most important Minoan funerary rites. One of the key scenes features the ritual sacrifice of a tied bull. The same panel also features several examples of the Horns of Consecration, a ceremonial symbol found at shrines on Minos that is based on the horns of the bull. But by far the most famous artefacts are the great frescoes from the walls of buildings that featured what is described as bull leaping. These images, and a bronze dating from 1500 BCE, show athletes of both sexes grasping the horns of a bull and seemingly flipping acrobatically over the animal or possibly onto its back. The image of bull leaping is so striking that it has fascinated scholars for many years, although the meaning of the manoeuvre or whether it was even possible at all as depicted, is still fiercely debated. Perhaps the athletes provoked the bull to charge and then leaped over it. Maybe they performed somersaults and leaps along its back. A version of bull jumping exists today in the form of course landaise, which is popular in southwestern France, although usually aggressive cows are used instead of bulls. Teams made up of sauteurs, or leapers, and écarteurs, dodgers, attempt to use their repertoire of evasions while the cow, who is held on a rope, charges at them. The handlers are careful to produce a spectacular show without risking serious injury to participants or the cow. What the meaning of the bull leaping was may never be known. It might reflect the taming of the forces of nature in the form of the bull. Other authors suggest that it may have a religious meaning based in cosmology with roots going back to Near Eastern religious systems. More recent excavations have found Bronze Age depictions of bull leaping from the Egyptian city of Hyskos and from Syria. 
One other idea that I personally found interesting is that these important performances of bull leaping provided an opportunity for those in power to showcase their status by providing the bulls and trained athletes for the performance as later rulers patronise theatrical troops or gladiators. Whatever their meaning, it's clear that the bull was a potent symbol of power in Minoan society. We see the worship of cows and bulls, but they were also sacrificed to the gods. In the Iliad, the sacrifice of a hecatomb, that's a hundred oxen, is described on more than one occasion. And given the gods' willingness to torment the heroes of both sides, it's no surprise they went to such lengths to appease them. There's an incredible amount of study devoted to the meanings of sacrifice. One interesting interpretation of sacrifice in ancient Greece that I encountered was the idea that it's a, a form of communication between man and gods in the form of a shared meal. So some parts of the animal were given to the gods and others consumed by the humans. It's a really intriguing topic and one definitely deserving its whole own episode. One thing to note is that many similar rites can be found across different cultures. One of the most common Roman uh, rites involved the sacrifice of a bull, pig and sheep to bless the land or at public festivals like the end of the five-year census. Similar rites have been uncovered from Iran to Portugal. Pliny the Elder describes the sacrifice of two bulls by Druids in a religious ceremony in Gaul. The sacrifice was designed to bless mistletoe as a cure for infertility, and it would have been immediately understood by his Roman audience. Every aspect from the colour, sex and appearance of the animal could be significant. In the example that Pliny gave, both bulls were white with their horns bound. And even the entrails of the sacrificed animal, particularly the liver, were studied by soothsayers to interpret the will of the gods. This is a tradition that dates back to ancient Babylon, from where it probably spread to other cultures. Models of livers, probably to guide soothsayers in their craft, have been excavated from Babylonian and Assyrian sites from at least 1600 BCE. These sacrificial animals were also often depicted in art and on buildings, often as a skull of a cow decorated with garlands of sacrifice, known as a bucrania. In a rather macabre twist, these emblems of classical sacrifice were adopted by Western enthusiasts of classical architecture in the 17th and 18th centuries, and can actually now be seen adorning colonnades and frescoes in European stately homes. And it's interesting to think that you might find these alongside hunting trophies and mounted racks of antlers. The sacred sacrificial cows um, certainly reveal the importance of cattle in rituals of faith and belief um, around many cultures. Like the Egyptian mother goddess Hathor, symbolic cows who give life and fertility appear in many other religions and belief systems. In Norse myths collected in the Prose Edda, written in Iceland in the 13th century, a creation story describes how a cow, Odumla, brought human life into existence. The Prose Edda, also known as Snorri's Edda, as it was compiled by writer Snorri Sturluson, is a remarkable collection of old myths that would have circulated by word of mouth, but were committed to parchment by men like Snorri. Although he was a Christian himself, writing in Christian Iceland, the Prose Edda gives us a glimpse into Viking beliefs, beliefs described as pagan, of course, by the Christians. In the beginning, in Norse mythology, there was an abyss or void called Gap, out of which nine realms would form. The primordial rivers flowed into the void and when they met with fire turned into icy droplets 
and from these sprung the rhyme giant, a primeval being named Ymir. Although often described as giant, um, he wasn't necessarily large and grotesque. From these drops, another being also formed, um, and this is from the, the text. Straightway after the rhyme dripped, there sprang from it the cow called Adumla. Four streams of milk ran from her udders, and she nourished Ymir. As Mir sucked on the mythical udders, over three days she licked at the salted ice rocks, and from these rocks, Buri, Odin's grandfather, was born. So here we have a story that sees the cow was born from the very first elements of Earth, at the beginning of time and before humans, a cow as creator and immensely powerful. Kamadhenu is an example of a goddess whose form mixed human features with animal bodies, symbolising the way in which human and animal lives and forms are intermingled. A small wooden figure dating from the early 20th century allows us to see how she is depicted. She is most often shown as a white cow with a woman's head and breasts. In many images, several dating from the 19th century now in the British Museum, the whiteness of her body contrasts with vivid eagle's wings that sprout from her back and the peacock tail behind her. In her belly is the whole ocean writhing with life that would spill as the god Krishna and his consort Radha drank her milk. The particular form of Kamadhenu uses motifs from Hindu traditions but mixes in Islamic legends of Burak, the night beast on which the prophet Muhammad rode to heaven. Fertility is definitely a key theme in many of these beliefs. Rivers flowed from the udders of Adumla, and in a parallel way, Kamadhenu and sacred cows are linked to stories about the birth of fertility. Millions of small cows also emerged from Kadamhenu's skin, or Surabi, as she is known in major Hindu text called the Devi Bhagavata Purana. As a mother of all cows, the sacred symbol of plenty, the wish-fulfilling cow. Kamadhenu helps us understand the veneration of cows in Hinduism. It's something most people might know about India, that cows are special, and it goes back to these deeply held beliefs, shared in different ways across many forms of faith in the world about cows as symbols of plenty. The observant will have noticed that there are many similarities between the Norse legends and those of Egypt and India, so much that some scholars have suggested these beliefs were all connected in a tree of shared understanding. This wasn't an uncontroversial thing to say and was a way of giving these legends their own credibility, a backstory to rival the tradition of the classical world of Roman Greece. There most likely wasn't a common heritage of beliefs, but it is still interesting to think about how cows have played crucial roles in creation stories of people and the land in various cultures with different origin stories of the cosmos. Cows continue to have important meanings in many cultures. The cow in India has become part of national identity in ways that go beyond religion and faith or perhaps reveal how deeply national and communal identities are intertwined with these beliefs. There's even a whole journal dedicated to the animal, the Indian cow, which aims to celebrate cows, but also their, in the words which describe the journal, their traditional place in Indian culture and economy. The slaughter of cows is prohibited in many states, and cows seem to personify virtues valued by Hindus of patience and non-violence. Mahatma Gandhi said of cows, Mother cow is in many ways better than the mother who gave us birth. 
Our mother gives us milk for a couple of years and then expects us to serve her when we grow up. Mother cow expects nothing from us um, but grass and grain. Our mother often falls ill and expects service from us. Cows even played a role in the 1857 revolt against British imperial rule in India. The news that new cartridges to be used by the British army and Indian troops used cow fat as grease caused outrage. It's a myth that it sparked the whole thing. It wasn't actually the main reason for the revolt. There were years of other grievances and concerns. But it became a rallying symbol for Indian identity. Campaigns against cow slaughter and cow products from the 1880s to the 1930s were a mobilising tool for Indian identity. It's a reminder that the cow can also be a deeply political and often polarising symbol, as the slaughter of cows is banned in most states, as eating beef is forbidden. This hits poor people as chicken and fish are made more expensive. Cows are sacred to Hindus, but Muslims, who make up 14% of the population, do not hold them in the same regard. And beef is a traditional part of poorer Muslim diets, as well as those of tribal and Dalit communities. Even in today's India, the cow can be adopted as a symbol of national political sentiment. One MP said the cow should be a national symbol. This is tied to the complex religious politics in India, as the cow is not sacred to minority groups like Muslims. So cows are political as well as sacred, because they are deeply connected to those ideas about religious and national identity. One controversial work which I've put in the reading and resources picks apart what uh, is called the myth of the sacred cow, saying the idea of an unbroken heritage of cows as sacred in Hinduism is a political construct. Dawijendra Narayan Jha says his life has been threatened and the work has been banned in several places. There are other nations where cows play crucial roles, of course, in identity and belonging. In South Africa, Nguni cattle, hybrid animals, have become symbols of South Africa as the rainbow nation. It matters what the animal looks like, the piebald pattern of their hides, symbolising supposedly modern South African identities. But the importance of cattle in South Africa stretches back much further, as they were crucial in indigenous cosmologies of sub-Saharan African peoples. So were part of South African history from when the Bantu tribes arrived from northeast Africa from around 550 AD. Cows have also uh, been contested, but also celebrated. But it'd be nice to to finish with an example of how they've been a force for positive change. In Rwanda in 2006, the Karinka program was started, which aims to lift people out of poverty by giving each poor family a cow. The name Karinka, which means may you have a cow, comes from a centuries-old tradition of gifting cows. The traditional symbol of a cow as part of a sign of fertility and giving has found new meaning here in the 21st century. And in 2018, the Prime Minister of India gave 200 cows to Rwandan villagers. We hope to have given you a flavour of how our ancestors imagined and regarded the cow and how it differs from the placid farm animals of today. The aurochs, which roamed wild, were powerful, dangerous beasts, untamed and unfarmed. A poem that gives a powerful sketch of the aurochs, the Ur, was written in Anglo-Saxon about 1,200 years ago. The auroch is bold and lofty-horned, a very savage beast. It fights with its horns 
a renowned strider across marshy terrain. It is a noble creature. Ancient societies domesticated cattle, but as we've seen, they still held an important place in ancient belief systems as symbols of fertility, strength, plenty, that could be linked to the power of rulers or the most important mythological figures. In many areas, these beliefs still exist into the modern world. These meanings have constantly shifted as people moved, bringing animals with them and integrating them into their world view- views. By the late 19th century, for example, indigenous American communities were making traditional shields with cows on, a beast they would never have seen until it came over with colonisers. And in the upcoming weeks, we'll be focusing uh, on one of this... uh, And in the upcoming weeks, that'll be the focus of one of our episodes as we explore the role of the cow in the US and the American West. The ranch, the cowboy and the cattle themselves have been a ubiquitous part of film, television and literature for more than a century. And we'll be taking a look at their history, their meanings and how it influences our relationship with cattle today. So thanks very much for listening. And do remember, if you are enjoying the content, uh, subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you are really enjoying the show, then do please consider leaving a, leaving a five-star review or just letting someone know about the show. It, it all helps to, to get the message out. If you want any more information about the topics that we've spoken about today, um, resources and book recommendations about some of the things that we've spoken about, then do check out the website, um, www.ourearthspodcast.com, um, and have a look at um, the things we've got on there. Uh, But that's it from us. So we hope you join us next time. Mm